Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. going to get into the word. Uh, We just started a series a couple of weeks ago entitled The Ghost, and we are talking about the third person of the Trinity, uh, the Holy Spirit, and his function and his role in our lives. By the way, we're Dom... uh, basically preached all of last week's sermon in his baptism testimony today. Where are you at, Dom? Where are you at? Where are you at? My goodness, bro. That was the most aggressive baptism I have ever been a part of, and I loved every minute of it, man, as a military man would. Like, I'm getting baptized, and you're going to like it. It's good. So uh, I got a lot of content today. We're going to jump right into our key text. Uh, if you got a Bible, you can crack it open to the book of John, chapter 14, starting in verse 16. These are the words of Jesus to his disciples as he is ascending and getting ready to go back to the Father. Uh, and he says this to the disciples, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Uh, In the first week of this series, uh, my wife introduced or reintroduced the Holy Spirit to us and she unpacked this word helper that Jesus uses to identify him, uh, shared with us that in the Greek, it is the word parakletos, which means the one that walks alongside of us. Jesus told his disciples, and in the same way that I have walked alongside of you for the last three years here on planet earth and helped you and I've directed you, you're going to receive the spirit of God, the God ghost, and he is going to live inside of you and walk with you so that you will not be alone. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and when we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we are saved. And at that moment, we are indwelt. The spirit of God comes to live on the inside of us. All of us who've called upon the name of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Uh, But last week, we we took that a step further. We expounded upon week one, and uh, we determined that the reason he lives on the inside of us is so that he can lead us. He is the leader, and we are the followers. He's Batman. We are Robin. He is Jordan. We are Pippin. For the older folks, he is Maverick. We are Goose. All right? Yes. Yeah, I got you. Okay? We'll get all the right references here. He doesn't just come walk alongside of us so that he can be our sidekick. No, he actually wants to lead our lives. And as was mentioned in the baptism testimony today, uh, our job as spirit-filled believers is to keep in step with the spirit, to make sure that we are marching to his drum and not trying to drag him along onto our journey. Uh, If you missed any of the previous weekends, I want to encourage you to go back, check them out on the podcast or on the YouTube. Uh, It feels as though, and you'll probably feel this again as we get into today's message, that these, these sermons are building upon each other. It's kind of like building blocks or stairs, and it feels like everything's kind of working together like it should in a good marinade. So I really want to make sure that everybody in our community, even if you're absent on a Sunday morning, gets these teachings into your heart. In fact, let me strongly suggest, at least for last weekend's message, that you go back and watch the YouTube, uh, because there were some visual aids to determine whether or not you were a Holy Spirit person or a Holy Ghost person, okay? So where are my Holy Spirit people at? (laughs) Where are my Holy Ghost folks at? Hey, okay. Division in the church. I like it. Okay. If that makes no sense to you, it's because you weren't here. So go back and watch it. 
so today we are going to take yet another step in uh, the Holy Spirit's direction, if you will. And last week we learned that he is in us so that he can lead us. Today we're going to ans- answer the question, where is he leading us? Because he does have a destination in mind. And, and Jesus tells us what that destination is as he goes on in this text. Again, John 14, 17. He says, he is the spirit of truth who leads us into all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later he will be in you. He is the spirit of truth. Jesus doesn't just introduce him as the helper. He introduces him here by another title. He is the spirit of truth and he says he's leading you somewhere. Where is he leading you? Well, the spirit is leading you into all truth. And that's what I'd like to spend the remainder of our time on today. That rather uncomfortable and inconvenient fact that the spirit of truth is leading us into all truth. And I say uncomfortable because we live in a culture, as many of you know, that doesn't necessarily adopt the idea that there is such a thing as truth. As Caesar asked Jesus, what is truth? That is the mantra of our culture. To suggest that a truth or absolute truth exists is absolutely preposterous in our culture. It's, it's grounds for being rejected or canceled. It's narrow-minded. It's hyper-religious. But through the word today, I don't want to simply suggest that absolute truth exists. I want to prove it because I think we find ourselves in a cultural moment where we desperately need truth. So to that end, hey, I like it. All right, thank you, Adam. Adam's excited. I don't know about the rest of you people. All right. To that end, I want to pose a question to you that will serve as our sermon title today, and that is, can you handle the truth? (laughs) Can you handle the truth? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Come on, turn to someone next to you and ask them, can you handle the truth? (laughs) I like it. Let's pray and we're going to get into it. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that it is truth. And even as uh, it, it states of itself in Psalms chapter 119, it is light. And at the entrance of light, we can see clearly where we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to walk. And so we pray that there would be a moment of revelation, of illumination in every heart today and every mind. I pray that every lie would be exposed for what it is and that we would know the truth. And as you promised, the truth would set us free. We love you today, and we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen, amen. Uh, truth is, has always been a bit of a big deal to me. Um, in my study of the Enneagram, as limited as it might be, uh, I have learned that, that truth has actually been woven into the fabric of the way that God created me. It's, it's a really big deal to my personality type. How many Enneagram people do we have here? Enneagram folks, any of you guys? Okay, a lot of you guys. Uh, how many type one personalities? Very organized, very not fun to be around. Okay, yeah. <laughs> type two personalities, the helpers, emotionally intelligent folks. Okay, a lot of these guys. Uh, type three, the achievers. Yeah. <laughs> As we unpack these, you're gonna, you can tell like who certain people are. How about the sevens, the life of the party, the, uh, yeah. <laughs> Woo, yeah. <laughs> uh, how many nines? Peacemakers, peacemakers? Yeah, much more subdued. You feel that? Yeah, that's good. How many don't care and you're not gonna let the totality of your existence be reduced down to a number? All right, okay, good, all right. <laughs> 
according to the ancient wisdom of the Enneagram, I am the type eight personality, the challenger, uh, the one who tends to be <laughs> dominant in certain conversations, uh, the competitive type, uh, emotionally unintelligent, uh, compassionately bankrupt in ways. Uh, but there are some redeeming qualities about my personality. Uh, and actually, as the Enneagram teaches, the, the type eight personality is the personality that values truth more than any of the others on the scale. In fact, it goes as far as to say that eights believe that truth is the essential spiritual quality, meaning that if we don't have truth, we got nothing. Everything else is a lie. We are wasting our time if there is no such thing as truth. Truth is a big deal to me. Uh, but the other reason I think truth is probably a big deal to me is because I grew up in a household where truth was highly valued. I grew up with a couple of parents that weren't going to raise any liars, specifically my father. Um, and I didn't tell him I was going to tell this story, and I'm remembering that now, and hopefully I don't get in trouble afterwards. Okay. <laughs> so my dad's an attorney, and... Uh, I know that like truth and lawyer don't generally go into the same sentence, but he's one of the good guys. Um, he, he's actually built a career that's been very helpful to people because he has been able to marry his convictions and his faith to his practice. He's not one of those guys that's one way at work and another way in church on a Sunday morning. He has integrity. He's a man of truth and a man of character, and he's done a lot of good in his career. I love you, Dad. But as an honest attorney, he was not going to raise any liars. And in the Biddle household, lying was like the mortal sin. If you lied, you were punished more than perhaps anything else, if you do, anything else you could do wrong. Uh, and if you have children that struggle with such things, um, I am not suggesting that you employ any of these disciplinary tactics, but for the sake of a trip down memory lane, let me share a few of them with you. Um, if you were dishonest in the Biddle household, I can keenly remember tasting spoonfuls of cayenne pepper, if I remember correctly, uh, burning your taste buds, very effective. Um, I remember uh, getting a haircut once for being dishonest, which might not sound like a really extreme like punishment, but when you're 10 years old and you have worked the entirety of your life to grow this really awesome tail on the back of your head, and you value its existence only to have that thing butchered off like Samson and all of your power robbed from you, it is traumatizing. I literally kept that tail in a Ziploc bag, thumbtacked to the wall in my bedroom as an Ebenezer of its greatness for weeks. It was awesome. Uh, but the, uh, the, the most humiliating, traumatizing, and consequently effective uh, punishment for lying was the sign. Do you remember the sign? As they nod in the front row, yes. My parents had fashioned this cardboard sign and there was an orange ribbon that went around the sign. And if a liar was caught, they would wear this cardboard sign like a scarlet letter in Sharpie that read, I will always tell the truth right across your necks. That was your accessory for the day. And God forbid you had to run errands or go anywhere because then the rest of the world would know that Biddles always tell the truth, that was your necklace. Yeah, I, I'm still scarred today. I wince a little bit when I think about it, it's great. Now, I know that those punishments might sound a little bit extreme. Uh, in today's timeout culture, maybe it's grounds for calling CPS, I don't know. But, but the reason my parents went to such extremes to punish dishonesty wasn't because they wanted to torch our taste buds or give us a haircut or embarrass us for the rest of our lives. It was because they wanted us to be people of character when we were older. 
They wanted us to value truth as much as they did. They, they wanted truth not just to be a concept or an idea or when it was convenient, we told the truth. They wanted truth to be woven into the fabric of who we were as their children. And, and I am confident that Jesus wants the same thing for his children. Just as a good parent would want truth to be at the center of their children, Jesus wants truth to be woven into the fabric of everybody who calls on his name. So much so that he literally placed truth on the inside of us. In John chapter 14 here, as Jesus begins to uh, introduce the Holy Spirit to his disciples, he doesn't just say that the truth excuse me, that the Spirit knows truth or that the Spirit will, will, will display truth. He actually attributes truth to the identity of the Spirit. He says he is the Spirit of truth. It is who he is. In other words, truth is not a concept or an ideology. Truth is, in fact, a person. It is the person of the Holy Spirit. And that might not sound very significant, but let me explain why it's vitally important that we understand that truth is a person. If truth is the person of the Holy Spirit, that means it's not subjective. That means it's not fickle. It doesn't change based on the moral targets of a culture or the ever-changing convictions of our culture. No, it stays the same. Newsflash, the Holy Spirit is not bipolar. He does not have a personality disorder. He is the same in all of us. We tell our kids over there in kids' church, hey, you don't get a junior version of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in his entirety is the one who comes and lives inside of our children and inside of all of us. Romans chapter 8 says uh, that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. So if it's the same Spirit in us, then it's the same truth for us. It does not change. And Jesus confirms this in his introduction of the Spirit when he uses a Greek word to determine the Spirit's character. He says this, he is the Spirit of truth. And when he says that, he uses this word aletheia, which means, which is true in any matter under consideration, in reality, in fact, certainly, and objectively. You notice how definitive those statements are. In any matter under consideration, objective, certainly. There is no gray area in the Spirit's truth. There, this isn't like 50 shades of truth. This is truth. He is the Spirit of Aletheia. He is the Spirit that speaks with certainty and objectivity about anything that's being addressed. He's not fickle. He does not move. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And since he does not change, then truth does not change. It's the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. Regardless of what our culture looks like, truth is still constant. Now, if that sounds countercultural or aggressive, it's because it is. <laughs> hey, newsflash, you live in a world that does not believe in objective truth. You live in a world that wants to rewrite truth for the individual's comfort. Hey, whatever you want your truth to be, you, you, you determine what's right, you determine what's wrong. There's no such thing as a moral compass. The, the scripture has some suggestions, but that's, that's, that's it at best. So, so you live your truth, I'm gonna live my truth. We all get a little truth, 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 truth. <laughs> but if that is what our culture is accepting, it is what the Christian should be rejecting. It should be a massive red flag to the believer. 
Not because we're narrow-minded or because we're hyper-religious, but because Jesus said right here in this introductory text, the world has no idea what truth is. It is a foreign concept to your culture. He says that they cannot receive truth because they're not even looking for truth. So be warned, if your truth looks a lot like the world's truth, then honey, I hate to break it to you, but it is not truth. It's a lie, Stephen. It's not the truth. And we must be aware of that because if we have the spirit of truth living on the inside of us, he is not guiding us into the waves of our culture and what they believe. He is guiding us into something far more objective, his truth. Which to me begs a question. If this is such a big deal, if it's a big enough deal that Jesus literally identified the spirit as truth, then how does he speak truth to each and every one of us? How do we know what truth is? Well, Jesus actually tells us as he goes on further on down into this introduction. John 14, 26, here's what he goes on to say. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's gonna teach you all things. And what's he gonna do? He will remind you of everything I have said to you. He goes on in chapter 16, verse 13, to say when the spirit of truth comes, he's gonna guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he'll tell you what he has heard. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. This is so cool. This is probably one of the coolest windows we get into the spiritual realm because it shows us exactly how the Spirit of God speaks to each and every one of us. He says, all right, here's what's going to happen, disciples. The Father's going to send the Spirit. The Spirit's going to dwell on the inside of you. And then I, Jesus, am going to speak to the Holy Spirit inside of you, and he is going to tell you what I'm saying. He is going to remind you of my teachings. He will only speak what I tell him to speak. He's not going to talk on his own. No, he's going to regurgitate my words. He will speak on my behalf. Now, this is important because context is absolutely crucial as we study this portion of Scripture. We need to remember who Jesus is talking to right now, okay? When he says, hey, the Spirit is going to remind you of of what I've said. He's going to speak on my account. He's going to share my words. Jesus is talking to a group of guys that have just discovered that their truth teller is ascending into heaven and isn't going to be with them any longer. They're they're talking to to this Jesus whom they have determined is in fact truth incarnate. He has been their spirit of truth that has guided them in all truth for the last three years. They haven't had to worry about the lies of their culture, whether or not they're doing the right or the wrong thing. Jesus has been right there walking with them saying, hey, that's not true. This is true. Walk in this way. Don't walk in that way. They've had this guide. They've accepted what Jesus said about himself, that that I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If anyone wants to get to the Father, it's going to be through me. But, But now their truth teller has said, hey, I'm out. <laughs> I got to go. But, but he offers them this comfort by saying, even though I'm leaving you and I will not be physically present to guide you in truth any longer, I'm going to place a spirit on the inside of you that's going to speak to you just as I had. In fact, he'll even use my voice. In the same way that I've been talking to you, I'm going to talk to him and you're still going to be guided and directed by your master's words. It'll be my word spoken to your heart so that you will know exactly what you're supposed to do. Come on, that's pretty awesome. We have just witnessed the first game of telephone in history. 
That's right, you thought it was your third grade teacher. No, it finds its origin in Jesus. He, he says, hey, I'm gonna talk to the Spirit, and then the Spirit's going to turn, and he's going to talk to you. you. The message will come from me, but it will come by way of a different delivery method. Now, I got it. My time's up, sorry, I gotta go. <laughs> Now, with this introduction of a new method, we also need to recognize that there is an introduction of a potential problem. And anybody who has played the game of telephone knows what that problem is. Because the longer that message makes its way down the chain, the more people it finds its way into, the more distorted that message gets. It may start out correct, pure, this is exactly what the source wanted to say, but by the time it makes its way down, that message can sound completely different. There's a breakdown the longer that message makes its way down the chain. And I don't know about you, but I have heard some people, some Christians, begin to speak some truths that I'm pretty confident didn't come from the Son to the Spirit. There has been a bit of a distortion along the way, a breakdown in the message. And I wanna to suggest to you that we can very easily solve that problem because here's where I think the breakdown comes in. I think the breakdown is the Bible. Follow me for a moment. When Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to have the Spirit remind them of what he said, it was absolutely essential that they had a reminder. Why? Because they did not have a written manuscript of what Jesus said. This did not exist yet. There was no recording of Jesus' words. And they would find themselves in situations after Jesus ascended where they would need to be reminded of what their teacher told them. And how were they going to be reminded? Well, Jesus said, I'm going to provoke the spirit on the inside of you to remind you of my teachings. They needed a memory because they didn't have a manuscript. But that's not our problem, is it? We live in an era well, we actually have everything that Jesus said right here. The entirety of his teachings encapsulated right here in leather-bound pages. The Bible says of itself, everything you need for life and godliness is right here. We don't need to rely on memory because we have a manuscript. Now, let me offer a disclaimer because there are some people who've been around the Christian block a few times and you think that I'm about to make a theological statement about whether or not the Spirit still speaks. Let, let's be clear, the Spirit still speaks. I am not a cessationist that believes that the Spirit of God is not necessary any longer. It's not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. It is still the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He lives on the inside of you. You are in relationship with Him. He will speak to you individually about the situation that you find yourself in. That's not what I'm saying. But when it comes to truth, we don't need anything new. When it comes to truth, the Spirit speaks through what the Son said in the Scriptures. He will always align with the Word of God. Let me say this a little more eloquently through the words of a theologian who is far more intelligent than I. David Guzik says it like this. In one sense, this was fulfilled when the New Testament writings, divinely inspired by God, were completed. In another sense, the Holy Spirit continues today to personally lead us into truth, but never in opposition to the scripture because God's supreme authoritative revelation is closed with the New Testament. <laughs> I like that one better, what he said, what, what he said. 
There is no new truth. There isn't any new revelation. The Bible ends with the Apostle John saying, let nobody add to or take away from this book. This is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. If you're wondering what the Spirit is speaking, it's going to be found in the Scriptures. This is the Word of God. It is the truth. Which brings me back to our title. If that is the truth, can you handle the truth? Can you handle the contradiction between your truth and Scripture's truth? Do you even know what the truth has to say? Do we know the Scriptures? Can you handle it? Because, mark my words, there will be plenty of opportunities in life where what you thought was true is going to be addressed through the truth, and you will have a decision to make. Am I going to continue to willfully buy into deception? Or am I going to allow the Spirit through the Scriptures to sift out every lie in my life? Because the Spirit, today, last week we learned He was the sergeant, today, the Spirit is the sieve. He is the one who sifts out every lie so that only the truth can remain. Let me illustrate. Uh, Smarty, EJ, if you wouldn't mind grabbing my collection of magic tricks over there. Thank you. So scripture, when speaking of truth, often refers to it as a stone or as a rock. It's as stable and strong as a rock. Uh, Jesus says at the conclusion, yeah, that's good, thank you. Uh, at the conclusion of his teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says that if you build your life upon this truth, upon my teachings, then it's like someone who built their house upon a rock, a stable bedrock. But if you are one who doesn't build your life on my truth, if you allow yourself to build life upon the lies of your culture, then it's like building a house upon the sand. And when the, uh, the sands, and when the storms come, they're going to reveal what kind of foundation you have. They're going to reveal whether or not you've truly adopted truth, or if you've been building on something a little more shaky. But if you've built your life on my truth, it is stable. Well, well, today I have um, a number of spiritual truths here, uh, represented by some stones. And uh, we're going to look at some of these truths because I think that our culture has its own version of truth that contradicts the Spirit's truth. Fair warning, um, if I offend you in any way over the next couple of moments, you can send me an email at david at tfh.church. <laughs> And he will be happy to address all of your offenses in the way that a type one personality would. Hallelujah. Okay. Let's talk about some of these. <laughs> there is such a thing as spiritual truth about identity. Uh, the, 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 the word of God, the spirit of God has something to say about who you are. The, the Bible says that you are created by God. You are his creation, fashioned together, intricately woven in your mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. And as your creator, as the originator of your life, 
God has the supreme right to identify you. You are who he says you are, not who you think you are. And he has a lot of stuff to say about you in his word. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. The righteousness of Christ Jesus. Kings and priests. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You are free. You are healed. You are capable of being used for great things. You are noble vessels reserved for noble purposes. This is what the word of God has to say about you. And it's not up for negotiation. You don't get to adjust your identity based on how you feel from day to day. Your identity has been spoken for because as creator, he reserves supreme authority to identify you. But your culture has a different version of identity. Your, your culture has some, some ideas about who you are. And culture would love to tell you that you are not who God says you are. You are who you might think you are from day to day. You are the collection of your mistakes. You are identified by your failures and by your past. You are identified by your attractions or your addictions or your afflictions. And, and they just pour on their lies until you can't even see the truth any longer. Your culture would love to allow you to think that your identity is something as fickle as how you feel or what you've done or what's been done to you. And then they pervert it to say, well, it's not just something that's been done to you. This is who you are. But that's not the truth. That is a lie that is trying to bury the truth of the spirit. Let's, let's talk about another one. Um, let's go with this one. The spirit has some truth about marriage. And the spiritual truth about marriage is that it is forever. When you make a covenant before God and you say, until death do us part, it is not up for negotiation. It is not up for adjustment or amendment or addendum. As long as things are going well. No, when you say, until death do you part, the Spirit's truth is that you mean it. <laughs> What God has brought together, let nobody try to separate, as Jesus says. In fact, the only spiritual provision that gives you an exit ramp in marriage is adultery and infidelity. And even then, if there is repentance and forgiveness, and I've seen it many times over, God is still greater than infidelity and he can restore a marriage back to health. That is the spiritual truth about marriage. It's an uncomfortable one and an inconvenient one, but it's the truth. And as you know... Your culture has a different definition of that truth, don't they? Your culture would love to get you to believe that, well, you know, diamonds are forever, but marriage isn't. <laughs> and our culture would love to, to bury marriage in the sands of irreconcilable differences, falling out of love, Things just don't feel the same as they did when we first got married. We're staying together for the kids, but as soon as that's over, we're done. And the truth of marriage gets buried in these lies. Now, the truth is inconvenient because it means that you're going to actually have to take responsibility for your own part in the disintegration of your relationship. And you might actually have to seek counsel. And God forbid you actually have to change 
So instead, I will sink my toes into the sands of convenience because it allows me to stay the way I am and remain comfortable, even if that means we separate in the process. Someone smile at me today because it's going to get even weirder. Spirit has something to say about your rights. There's a lot of chatter about rights right now. These are my rights. And these people are trying to take my rights away from me. And they're infringing upon my rights. Do you feel everyone just tighten up in the room right now? This is a great feeling. I love this moment. This is what I was born for as an eight. Yeah, the Spirit has something to say about your rights. You know what he has to say? You don't have any. You lost your rights the moment you decided to follow Jesus. When you said yes to him, you laid your rights down at the foot of his cross. In fact, at the foot of your own cross, because you weren't just forgiven for your sins, but according to scripture, when you decided to follow Jesus, you actually died in the process. And when you died, all of your rights died along with you. You don't have any rights anymore. Spiritually speaking, you are dead to rights. It is not your life anymore, it's his. It's not your future anymore, it's his. Dare I say, it is not your body anymore, it is his. So it is not your choice as to what you get to do in the matter. It's his choice because he owns you and he possesses you. And there's a chapter and verse for that one. You were bought at a price and so you will honor God with your bodies. Now, be careful, because I know there's some cancel Karens in the room that are ready to send me an email right now. So let me take it a step further. Yes, you might live in America, but you are not more American than you are Christian. You are a Christian before you are an American. You are not a resident of this world. You are a citizen of heaven, and you are called to carry yourself, not on this planet fighting for rights, but establishing and building an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. So if in the midst of our cultural moment, you've gotten all up in arms and, and your nationality is more important than your Christianity, then that is idolatry, my friend. And you need to repent and bow once again at the foot of the cross and say, I gave up my rights a long time ago. That's the truth. No matter how offensive it is, that's the truth about your rights. But your culture has a different version of truth. Culture would like you to believe that you are more American than you are anything else. America. In America, we got rights. We protect those rights. Gosh dang it. Blast my six shooter into the air with my rights. And they want to bury the truth about your rights in political persuasions, in nationalism, in the voice of your favorite news anchor and the algorithm of your social media channels, maybe even in the way that you were brought up to believe the world works in your household as a child. Perhaps the greatest lie is that God actually cares as much about your rights as you do. And so when you fight for your rights, it is righteously motivated. But don't be fooled. He cares far less about those rights than you think he does. David at TFH.Church. 
and we haven't even gotten into the truth about your money, that it doesn't belong to you. The truth about purity, that it's not something that's up for debate based on what's culturally relevant, but there's actually a standard about humility and the fact that your world says that, you know, if you're humble, you're actually gonna get stepped on, but Jesus says that it's actually the humble, the meek that are gonna inherit the earth, and he exalts the humble, but he tears down the proud. But there's all kinds of lies that wanna bury these truths. And for much of the church, this is what our existence looks like right now. A whole lot of truth buried in a bunch of cultural lies. But because the spirit is good and because he is a great sieve, he loves you too much to let you remain buried in a bunch of lies. And so he says, I will walk with you if you will let me. I will speak to you if you are willing. And I will allow you to pour all of those lies into me. Get into my word. Walk with me. Talk with me. Let me speak to you about the situations you're facing and the condition of your world. And I will begin to sift out every single one of those lies until all that's left is the truth. And according to Jesus, this is strong enough to build your life upon. This is not fickle, it's not gonna change, it's not gonna shake. Those who build their lives upon the rock, they will stand regardless of what the culture throws at them. This is truth. So I pose the question one more time. Can you handle that truth? Can you truly allow the spirit of truth to lead you into all truth? And you kind of already know the answer to that question even as I ask it. Because if you've had a difficult time accepting truth, then you're probably like many of the believers out there who live with this ongoing inner tension where their spirit is unsettled because they are trying to marry their version of truth to scripture. And it's like oil and water. It will not mix. But today the Holy Spirit is inviting you to let him lead you again. He's saying, will, will you let me show you the truth? Because, and this is the last thought band, you guys can come as we conclude. It's really important for your spiritual journey to accept truth. Because this last thought, truth tolerance determines spiritual progress. In other words, your willingness to allow the spirit to show you the truth is the deciding factor as to whether or not you move forward from here or you stay stuck in the sand. You might find yourself spinning your wheels in the spirit because you have yet to accept truth. Uh, yesterday, um, as is our custom on Saturdays, uh, a group of us went down to the beach and uh, we, we did our little 700 club workout and uh, no big deal. If you don't know what that is, you can go back and listen to the sermon from a couple of weeks ago. It's just 700 reps, 700 calories, just some lightweight work, no big deal. But at the conclusion of our workout, uh, we were walking all the weights back to the cars and um, Drew Baker uh, asked me how the sermon was feeling for the weekend. And I said, yeah, you know, it's feeling great. And it's all written. And I was sharing with him some of what we've talked to today, uh, talked about today. And uh, I said, but you know, there's the ending. I just, I don't really like the ending of the sermon. It doesn't feel like it's sitting right with me. I just, I can't quite figure it out. And so I was trying to explain to him what I was planning to say at this moment and why it wasn't working for me. And about that time, my children 
uh, came up to the car and they were absolutely covered in sand. Uh, their mother allowed them to swim in clothing uh, at the beach. And so there was all of the sand caked all over their bodies. And then she conveniently left to go hang out with a friend so that I got to deal with it. And uh, so they're, they're getting into the car and are trying to get into the car. And I don't know how you roll in your family, but I, we share a car and I actually care deeply about the cleanliness of our vehicle. And so we do not let children covered in sand get into the car. And uh, so I said, girls, what the heck is the matter with you? You know you're not allowed to get into the car with a bunch of sand all over your body. Clean yourselves off. And they did what most children do when you tell them to clean themselves off. And then, yeah, <laughs> I tried to walk into the car. So, so my frustration elevated a little bit and I'm like, seriously? It's my favorite line with my kids. Seriously? You know, you're not, look at yourself. You're an absolute mess. Clean yourself up. There's no way you're getting into the car like that. And I, I just can't, I got stuff all over my shorts. I'm like, fine, so I'll help. So I start dusting my kids off, but not like gently. You parents know what I'm talking about, right? You're like, I don't wanna hit you in public in front of all these people. So I'm gonna just really aggressively get the sand off of your bodies. <laughs> so we get into the car and I was taking Drew and Michelle home and Drew looks at me and he says, hey, what if, what if you use that illustration at the, at the closing of the sermon? What if you said, you know, hey, like a loving father. God, God just wants to dust all the lies off of you and so that only the truth remains. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great, but that's not what just happened. I was angry, I was frustrated, I was yelling at my kids. I was not like Jesus. So uh, it's a great idea, but I, I don't think it's gonna fly. So, so I go home and uh, I sit back down in my office and I'm trying to retool the conclusion of the sermon here. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. He said, hey, actually Drew was onto something. I'm like, okay. He said, in the same way that you would not allow your children to get into the vehicle and move on to the next destination until they were cleaned off, so I can't let my children who are covered in lies move forward in their journey. I need to get those lies off before I can allow them to make progress. Truth tolerance determines spiritual progress. Maybe you are here today and you feel like you have been stuck for an exorbitantly long period of time in your journey of faith can't quite figure out why. May I suggest to you today that it's because there's a truth you haven't accepted yet. Maybe it's because the Holy Spirit is trying to lead you into truth, but you refuse to accept it. And you've been trying to marry the deception of your culture to the truth of His Word, and it just isn't working. I believe if you will repent of that today, if you will allow the Holy Spirit to speak truth to your heart, you are crossing over a line and you'll begin to make progress in your journey with Him. And because He loves you, I don't need to tell you what that is. Even as we pray and we conclude right now, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. He doesn't wanna see you stay stuck. He wants to see you make progress. And I believe He's gonna speak that directly to some hearts today as we conclude. Let's bow our heads and let's, let's pray. Spirit of truth, we pray right now that you would lead us into all truth. Show us the way that we should go so that we can walk in it. Right now, I pray for every person who finds themselves in a season of just spinning their wheels. Highlight, speak to the heart, identify right now what that thing is 
so that they can trade that, that lie in for the truth. And maybe even as we're praying this right now, there's some people in the room that say, hey, Tim, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know that I have that spirit living on the inside of me. I don't know that I have truth. I, I'm not a follower of Jesus, or maybe I once was and I've been at a distance, but I don't know that the spirit of truth lives on the inside of me. Today, I wanna invite you to invite him into your heart. If, if you're far from God this morning and you do not want to remain there any longer, I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer with you in just a second. But before I do that, quickly, would you just do me a favor and lift up your hand and look at me and say, Tim, I need to come home to Jesus today. And I, and I will pray with you as we conclude, if that's you. Thank you, got you right there. Yeah, I got you right there. Anybody else? Awesome. Oh yeah, right there, roll right on. All right, let's pray this prayer together. You can just say it in your heart. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. Today I choose to follow you. Holy Spirit, I invite you in, not to be my sidekick, but to lead me from this day forward. Help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways from this day on until the moment I see you in heaven. And you look me in the eye and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. Today, I receive all of you and I give you all of me in return. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's just thank God for every single one of those making that decision today. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.